good to see you this morning. And uh, my name is Josh, if you don't know me, one of the pastors here. And uh, yeah, it's just good to be back. My wife Hannah and my son Charlie and I were out of town last week. Uh, we went to the National Conference for the Evangelical Free Church, of which we're a part. And we suffered in Fullerton, California. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was just fun to be there, though. And, and you need to know, and I'll share a little bit about that later, uh, but just what a great group and tribe and you might even call it denomination we're part of. Faithful to God's word, um, good things happening, and uh, it's just a joy to be a part of the free church. So uh, we can be excited about that. Uh, we also got to spend a little bit of time then while we were there and uh, took a couple, few days of vacation, went to Disneyland, and uh, so we have no money left. And uh, <laughs> We had a lot of fun, though, and uh, so thanks for some time off and uh, just a good, good week. Well, hey, our focus this summer, as you know, is just on enjoying and knowing and resting in God, and we're doing that by looking in the Psalms, and the, the Psalms uh, really speak with emotion to knowing God and resting in him and enjoying him. And uh, we're using the Psalms to highlight Jesus in the Psalms this summer, Specifically knowing Jesus as, as my God, as our God. Uh, but maybe you'd think about that language. Is, is Jesus my God to you? Could you really say that? He's my God. Or is he just um, Jesus to you, you know? Uh, see, to follow Jesus means that he's possessive of us and that we're possessive of him, and so we rightly call him my God. And so each week we're gonna see that in, in the Psalms. Last week, Pastor Dave led us, we saw uh, my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. Today, we're gonna see it's all about Jesus. My hope. He's my hope, he's your hope. And so uh, we're gonna be in Psalm uh, 146 today, so if you got your Bible, you can or your device, you got it on there, you can turn to Psalm 146. If you don't know where the Psalms are, uh, they're right in the middle of your Bible. And uh, you'll find them if you just open up right to the middle and uh, thumb around a little bit, you'll find the Psalms. Psalm 146, though, this morning. But while you're looking for that, uh, let, me, let me just say a couple things about the Psalms that might be, be helpful for us to remember. Um, First off, many of you know this, but some of you, you just might not know it, and that's okay, so I want to help you. Psalms literally means songs. So every psalm in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, is a song. It's the lyrics to a song. So really, it's the book of songs, is what the book of Psalms is. We don't have the sheet music for them, though. We just got the lyrics. In some ways, you know, as we're singing here earlier this morning, you could say in some ways that we sing corporately together a lot more like the early church did than like the church I grew up in did. Church I grew up in, and maybe for some of you too, you know, you had a hymnal and you opened it up and you had not only the lyrics, but the, the sheet music, so you knew what to sing. Well, they just had the lyrics, kind of like us. We just sing, and uh, Josh and his team, by the way, doesn't Josh do a great job leading our worship team? Yeah. We're, we're grateful for you, Josh. You're doing great, so thank you. And, um, you know, but when I was a kid, you know, you could, you could read through some rich hymns, rich lyrics, just like we have today. But that's kind of what this is. It's just a, it's a lyric sheet for songs they would have sang. So as we read it, maybe think about that, that this is a song that God's people would have sang. Let's, let's just read it together. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, 
Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, so with that in mind, having sung that, let me pray. And then we're gonna just kind of work our way through this song and see in it that Jesus is our hope. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you that he is, in fact, our hope. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd make that so clear to our hearts this morning. Encourage us with the truth of who you are, of who Jesus is. And uh, might we leave changed. I pray for those, Lord, uh, as Tom did, who, who haven't trusted you, today might be the day uh, you work and uh, break through into their heart that they would trust you. But Holy Spirit, help us understand these words that you've written and apply them to our lives. Help me as I teach and preach them. And we pray all this through Jesus, our Savior, our hope. Amen. Well, Psalm 146 shows us uh, God's unwavering love. And it shows us that his unwavering love, his unwavering faithfulness and goodness, they, they motivate us to praise him, to praise God, to, to worship him, to sing praises to him. That's what it means to, to praise him. Uh, look right away there, verse one, how's it start? Why don't you just say that with me? Praise the Lord. That was kind of weak. Why don't you start again? Praise the Lord. I mean, these people would have sang that with, with volume, much like we sing on a Sunday morning, just excitedly, praise the Lord. And when they're doing that, you know what they're doing? And do you know what, by the way, you're doing when you sing and when you sing out on a Sunday morning and we hear your voice? You're reminding each other to praise the Lord. And that's what they're doing. See, God's, God's faithfulness and his goodness, this Psalm tells us, one of the things that motivates us to do is to praise God. And we need to remind each other to do that. And when you sing, even if you sing so off key and it's just awful, you're reminding everybody else to praise the Lord. Why? Because one day you're gonna sing awesome. <laughs> but, but really just to praise him because of who he is, right? Because of his faithfulness to us, his goodness to us. So sing out, remind each other. That's also a big reason why it's so important to be here on a Sunday morning. You know, uh, Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews says, let's not give up meeting together. Don't give that up. 
Some are in the habit, sadly, of doing this, he writes. Hebrews 10, 25. So instead, let us cheer each other up with words of hope, with songs of hope. Let us do it all the more as you see the day coming when Jesus will return. And if you pay any attention to the news, you know that day's coming sooner and sooner all the time, isn't it? By the way, welcome to all of you joining us online. I'm really glad you're with us, but my hope is if you're able, that you'd also join with us here. Because there's something about gathering together when we remind one another to praise the Lord. By the way, uh, that, that word, praise the Lord, uh, is actually the Hebrew word, hallelujah. Hallel means praise. Yah is short for Yahweh, God's personal name. Praise Yah, praise God. Praise the Lord. You ever sing that song when you were a kid? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. There you go. That's what it means. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. And this psalm and the the next uh, five, the ones that close out the book of Psalms, 146 to 150, uh, they all begin and end with the Hebrew word hallelujah, with praise the Lord. And they bookend everything that we're doing. They're a reminder to praise God. But, you know, um, we should see this song speaking not only to each other, but also a song speaking to yourself. You know, we don't, need to, we don't just need to remind each other to praise God. If you're like me, there's days you need to remind yourself to praise God. Uh, because, can I confess something? Even as a pastor, there's days I don't feel like it. There's days I I just kind of want to quit. There's days uh, maybe there's conflict or hard situations or negative attitudes or uh, I just think, why is is this worth it? There's days I just have a rotten attitude and I think those same things. (laughs) You ever have those days? Where I've become complacent or I've trusted in myself and not God or fill in the blank, right? And so some days, many days, most days, I need to preach to my own soul, sing to my own soul, praise the Lord. Praise, and that's what, that's what this song does. Check it out. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. He, the, the psalmist, when he writes this, is speaking to himself, and then when the people sing it, first they sing, hey everybody, praise God, and then they turn their attention on themselves, hey you, inside you, praise God. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Preach to yourself in that way. And then uh, it expresses hope, this, this song does. You know, I'll praise the Lord as long as I live. Man, I just gotta tell you, that's my hope for my life. That all of my life, through all the ups and downs, and there's plenty and there'll be plenty more, but that by God's grace, I would praise the Lord as long as I live, come what may because he's good and he's faithful, that I'll sing praises to my God while I have my being. Is that the prayer of your heart, you know, to grow to love him, to sing to him, to rest in him? You know, the Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him. Rest in him, sing praise to him. For his unwavering faithfulness, Paul says to Timothy, even if we're not faithful, 2 Timothy 2.13, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. Because of his goodness. 
you know the, the phrase, right? Uh, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Psalm 107, another psalm, uh, this psalm starts this way. Give thanks to the Lord because he's good. His faithful love endures forever. And in some psalms, that, that phrase gets repeated over and over and over. You ever have those songs where you're like, man, this chorus, we've sang it so many times. That's yeah, biblical. It's in the Bible. His faithful love endures forever. Give praise, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His goodness and faithfulness, friends, is a reminder to praise him. It motivates us to praise him. It also motivates us to do something else, to, to trust him, to trust Jesus, to trust God, not people. Do you know, friends, man, humanity, human beings, cannot save, cannot save you, cannot save me. Only God can. Man can't save, and, and this song gives us a reminder of that, because sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we forget it. Uh, look at this, it says, uh, put not your trust in princes. Maybe if he was an American writing this, he'd say, put not your trust in politicians. Put not your trust in a political party. Put not your trust in the president. Put not your trust in the governor. Put not your trust in princes in a son of man, in a human being, in whom there is no salvation. See, when his breath departs, when he dies, uh, when he returns to the earth, on that very day, his plans all perish. There's no salvation in a human being or in a human institution. You know, we'd all agree, wouldn't you agree with that people can't save? I mean, intellectually, yeah, we're all like, yeah, right on, preach. But how about in your heart? Do you believe it in your heart? Functionally, we can say that we believe it, but then we live like we don't, especially come election season, which is coming earlier than ever. And it reveals that while we intellectually acknowledge that people can't save us internally in our hearts, we kind of believe that they can because, and we kind of live like they can and our actions betray what's really going on in our hearts that a politician could save us if only they got elected. That a nation could save us if only it endured. Election season's coming, war is happening, there's more war probably coming, surely coming. But neither of those save us, do they? I mentioned uh, we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America and one of the things last, last week at the conference, uh, there was a, a, a affirmation of denials and affirmations given, and a couple of those apply here. And these are just biblical statements that express what we believe and that, like songs are good reminders to our hearts, these things, based on scripture, are good reminders to us. Can I read a couple to you? Here's a couple of them that really relate to this idea of not trusting in man. Uh, as part of the EFCA, as followers of Jesus, we are not Christian nationalists who believe that the federal government should declare the United States a Christian nation, or who believe that Americans are God's chosen people. But we do believe, especially this 4th of July weekend, that a patriotic love of one's nation is appropriate and that Christians should be good citizens, whatever nation they're a part of, and, and freely advocate for God-honoring public policies. Isn't that true? 
we're to love our nation. God gave us this nation and, and to love it and to care for it and for our freedom. But man, this nation is not home if you're a follower of Jesus, is it? A man can't save. Uh, furthermore, we do not believe that political means can establish the kingdom of God, could establish salvation. But we do believe that God has appointed governing authorities to do good. And that for citizens in Jesus' kingdom, King Jesus' rule and reign transcends all other citizenships and partisan ideologies and transforms how we live in the world. Isn't that good? That's strong, friends. That's, that's the truth of God's word. We gotta remember and remind ourselves when we sing and when we see one another, hey, love your country, go, go wild, but it's not gonna save you. Jesus saves you. And by the way, not only the politicians and nations, but yourself. Remember, you can't save yourself. You might think you're in control, but guess what? It's only an illusion. <laughs> only an illusion for a time. See, man cannot save. Only God can save. Only Jesus can save. Uh, look with me at Philippians chapter three. You can turn there if you like in the New Testament or just... Uh, Read it with me on the screen. Uh, Paul writes this, he says, brothers, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. That for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. That kind of describes our culture, doesn't it? It really does, and it, it, it can bring, bring you to be tearful even, mourning that. But Paul gives a good reminder in the next verse. He says, but, remember friends, our citizenship is in, where is it? Heaven, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a citizen of heaven. That's your primary citizenship. And from it, from heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Not in man, not in yourself, not in nations, only in Jesus, only Jesus can save. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm thus in the Lord. That sounds kind of old school, doesn't it? Stand firm thus in Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness in this psalm is his goodness. It motivates us to praise him and to trust him and ultimately to hope in him. To hope in him. As we get to verse five, we're gonna start to see that, um, that God calls us to hope in him. So it might be helpful just to think through for a moment, what is hope, biblically speaking? Because we use that word a lot, right? Like, oh, I hope this happens. I hope it doesn't rain today, but it sounds like it is outside right now. I, I hope this. Well, biblical hope, biblical hope is this. It's the confident and eager expectation that God will keep the promises that he's made to his people. It's a confidence. It's an expectation that God can save, 
that he will keep his promises. Even when it doesn't seem like it in the moment, that he will, that he is who he says he is. So uh, the psalmist goes on here, and this song goes on, and it gives us kind of basically 12 reasons that Jesus is the only one worth hoping in. See if you can see them with me. They're pretty self-evident as we read through the text. The, the first thing, we're gonna, we're gonna start uh, here in Psalm 146, uh, again in uh, verse five. And in verse five, here's what we see, that God helps his people. That's one reason to hope in him. He helps his people. There's number one. Uh, look at verse five. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God. Again, remember, these are songs, right? Uh, these are songs that people sang. Do, do you ever have a song that you sing that gets stuck in your head from Sunday morning? Like you're just going through your week and out of nowhere you just start humming a song. Uh, maybe one we sang this morning. Uh, what happens when, I, when that happens? You know, I think that's God's good design that he created earworms that stick in our head. Because it reminds us again of who he is and it reminds us of reasons to hope in him and uh, and it also, it, it starts to where when we sing those things, those characteristics of who God is, which we're seeing now, start to become ingrained in our hearts and they become things that we even strive to have be virtues in our own life. Like when I sing of God's goodness, it's hard for me to be angry and bitter at somebody. <laughs> Try that next time, you're feeling angry at somebody, just start humming a song about how good God is. See how bitter you end up feeling in that moment and how quickly you lash out at him then. Something about that, though, it gets in your soul, in your heart, you begin to, to internalize those values and you long for them yourself. The Holy Spirit does that and he does that through his word. And here uh, he's doing it as they sing this song, as they remind themselves, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The God of the fathers, the, the God of Jacob is, is faithful to his people. And Galatians 3 tells us that those who are of faith in Jesus Christ are sons of Abraham, sons of Jacob, that their God is this God, those who put their faith and trust in Christ. He helps his people. He helps you, friend. He helps me. Yeah, second reason, let's keep reading. Uh, he made everything. That's another reason to hope in Jesus. Jesus made everything. See, the psalmist goes on. He says, the one, you know, hope in the Lord is God, the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything that's in them. Well, in Colossians, we read that Jesus is the creator of all things, Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the one of the Trinity who, who made all things and who holds all things together. That he's the one spoken of here, the maker of heaven and of earth. That's a reason to hope in him. You know, like uh, maybe some of you, you've bought a, a new car or uh, built a new house and maybe something goes wrong with it. Who do you go back to for some help with that? Usually, if it's new, the person who made it, the person who sold it to you, the person who knows all about it, the creator of it. Well, in the same way, the creator of heaven and earth, there's reason to hope in him and to go to him 
and to trust him. He made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. He gives help and hope for that reason. And not only this, but he does what he says. He always does what he says. I don't think there's a person in this room, including the guy on the stage, who could make that claim about themselves. That they always do what they say. Always. Yet that's what God does. That's what the psalmist writes here. He keeps faith forever. He always does what he says. He remains faithful forever. He keeps truth forever. He, he, he always does what he says. You can trust God to keep his word. You can trust him to keep his promises to you. That when he promises, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, that he'll change you and he'll save you and he'll help you and he'll be with you, that he keeps those promises to his children. Always. Even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment, he does. Uh, look at what else he does. Another reason to praise Jesus and hope in him and trust him. He, he helps the oppressed. He helps those who are oppressed. You know, uh, our God is continually executing justice for the exploited. Here's what the psalmist writes. The one who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. He, he, he always does. Those who would abuse the oppressed should recognize that God is their enemy. Those who take advantage of the oppressed those who uh, take advantage of the downtrodden, who disparage the poor. If that's you, God is your enemy in that. Because God always executes justice. He always does what is right for those who are oppressed, for those who are downtrodden. He cares about justice. You know, um, biblical justice is about what's doing right according to God's word. Social justice puts its hope in uh, social outcomes, right? But there's elements that we can learn uh, and, and elements of social justice that are derived from biblical justice, but biblical justice is about what's doing right according to God's word. And as followers of Jesus, we're called, what does Micah say? to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God, to do justice like God does. He does justice for the oppressed. He helps the oppressed. And when we don't, we're enemies of God. He feeds the hungry as well. We already read this, but let me highlight it. Uh, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Our Lord's giving food to the hungry. He might intervene directly, but a lot of times he just uses his people to give food to the hungry. Hey, do you remember last October when we partnered with North Webster Church of God and we packed meals uh, for Mission of Hope? We're gonna do that again this year in October. October 1st, in fact. And uh, we'll do that during both services. We'd love for you to be a part of it. You need to know too, it's, an, it's a significant cost. So if you wanna help a sponsor that, it'll cost, basically we'll, we'll spend around $10,000 in providing those meals. So if you wanna give above and beyond towards that, I invite you to. And God uses his people to feed the hungry. But you know, when, when it talks about this, here's what's curious is, um, Jesus related this not just to feeding hunger physically, but he, feeding hunger 
spiritually. In John chapter six, uh, Jesus was uh, saying to some religious leaders, you know, that this is what God wants you to do. He wants you simply to believe in the one whom he sent. And so they said, well, give us a sign. Because, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, they were all wandering around the wilderness. God gave them a sign by giving them bread, giving them manna. And Jesus said, uh, you need to know, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And Jesus goes on in verse 35, he said to them, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Now what's he talking about? Is he saying you're never gonna be hungry again? Well, I don't know, I'll probably be hungry this afternoon. He's saying you're never gonna hunger spiritually. You're never gonna lack for purpose. He's gonna fulfill you. He's the bread of of life, of true life. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We should put our hope in God because he feeds the hungry. He feeds us spiritually. Not only this, he frees prisoners. He frees prisoners. Look at the, the end of verse seven. The Lord sets the prisoners free. He's working for justice. He's feeding the hungry. He's setting prisoners free. And now there's a, a real reality of that physically, right? And uh, to care for the oppressed, to care for those who are in prison. Uh, In the New Testament we read, remember those who are in prison. Uh, You yourself may be like them in some way, right? But he also sets us free spiritually. Acts, we've been going through the book of Acts. We're taking a break for this series. We'll come back to it in the fall. But in Acts 13, we saw that by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What is it you're struggling with? What, what sin, what frustration, what hurt? Jesus sets prisoners free. He does. He gives freedom, not to say you'll never struggle with that again or never Laps, but he sets you free, and ultimately one day he'll set you completely free for eternity. In John chapter eight, uh, many who heard Jesus talk about setting people free and talk about the gospel believed him, and, and so Jesus said to people who believed in him, he said, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching, and you know the truth, and if you know the truth, the truth will set you Free. Well, he's speaking of himself as the truth. And Jesus replied, some of of them said, but we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? And Jesus replied, I'm telling you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave isn't a permanent member of the family. But a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free and declares you free, you're free indeed. You're truly free. Friends, if you trust Jesus, he sets you free. He frees prisoners. Not only this, he opens eyes. He opens the eyes of the blind. Again, both physically, but really there's an idea here spiritually. The the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. If you got your Bible, it's not gonna be on the screen, but turn with me to John chapter nine. In John chapter nine, 
we read about a pretty fascinating thing that happens in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus was walking, and as he passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Chapter 9, verse 1. And his disciples asked him, hey, teacher, rabbi, uh, who sinned that this man, you know, was it this guy or was it his parents that he was born blind? They thought the fact that he was blind had to do with uh, punishment for his sin. Now, it is a result of sin because all our world is broken because of sin, right? But they wanted to know, is it, what, what did he do that he had that brought on himself? And Jesus said it wasn't this man who sinned or his parents, but it happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then having said these things, he spit on the ground, he made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. In other words, he took, he spit in his hands, he made some mud, and he rubbed it in the guy's eyes, and he healed the man, and suddenly he could see. I like to say Jesus healed him lickety-spit. You can use that sometime if you want. I thought it was pretty good. But he tells him, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sense. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, isn't this the guy who used to sit and beg? Some said, yeah, that's him. Others said, no, but he's sure like him. He kept saying, I'm that man. So they said to them, well, how were your eyes opened? He answered, he's like, well, the man called Jesus, he made mud and he anointed my eyes and then he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I could see. And they said to him, well, where is he? He's like, I don't know, I lost him. Well, then this man goes to the Pharisees and they question him in the same way and two different times they bring him, like, hey, who healed you? How did he heal you? And finally, this guy goes, <coughs> why, do you want to follow him too? And at that moment, they cast him out. And then in the story, Jesus re-enters the picture after hearing they'd cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast this man out who had been blind, that he healed. And having found him, he said, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man is a reference from the Old Testament to the Messiah. And the man answered, he said, well, who is he so that I can believe in him? And Jesus said, well, you've seen him. Who was the first person probably this guy saw? <laughs> Jesus. And he's speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. When Jesus says this, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, he's not talking just about physical sight. He's talking about opening the eyes of the heart to who he truly is. That's what Paul prays for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter one. He says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See, one big reason to praise Jesus, to hope in him is that he opens eyes. I mean, how many of you, I just wonder, you've trusted Jesus and you could look at a time in your life where your eyes were closed and a time after which 
where God opened them. Or maybe you could look at your life and see just like times where he opened them wider to who he is. That's what he does. He he opens and enlightens our hearts. Some of you, you might be having that experience for the first time even right now. Going, yeah, I, I, I sense that he really is God. That I really need to trust him. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus opening your eyes. He's the light of the world, Jesus says. He gives sight and direction to us. So he said in John 8, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's the eighth reason uh, to hope in him. He exalts the humble. He, he raises up those who are oppressed. He raises those who are humbled. He, he lifts up, the psalmist writes, those who are bowed down. Uh, James writes, uh, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. He goes on later in uh, chapter four and he says, but God, he gives more grace. Jesus does. Therefore, it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He lifts up those of low estate. He exalts those who find their place below him in Christ, under him. Not only this, but here's another reason, number nine, he loves the righteous. You're like, oh, oh, I'm out on this one. He loves the righteous, I don't know that that's me. Um, The righteous are those who are in the right. They're those who are in the right. Paul's quoting from uh, another Psalm here when he says the Lord loves uh, the righteous, or excuse me, I didn't read this yet. Paul Paul says in Romans chapter three uh, that none is righteous, no, not one. No one's righteous, and maybe you're thinking, yeah, I get that, that's me. I'm not righteous. So does that mean God doesn't love me? Well, when Paul says no one's righteous, not one, he's quoting from another psalm, from uh, Psalm 14 and from Psalm 55, where the fool says in his heart there is no God, and there is no one who does good, all have turned away. He goes on in uh, Romans 3, he says, know what Paul does, he says, not only is uh, no one righteous, no, not one, but no one understands God, no one seeks for God. We've all turned aside together, become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of, of snakes is under their lips, the mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they haven't known. There's no fear of God before their eyes and, and now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, will be made right in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying no one's righteous, and we're all doomed. God's standard is righteousness, it's perfection, and none of us are. But he keeps going, and he gives us some good news, namely that perfect is a gift. It's a gift. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it that the righteousness of God through faith 
is in faith in Jesus Christ for those who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But check out verse 24. But we're all justified by his grace. How? As a gift. Your righteousness is a gift of God. So yeah, you're right. You're not righteous in and of yourself. But if you've trusted Jesus, what's been given to you? Righteousness. And who does God love? The righteous. He loves his kids. You're declared righteous in his sight. You're a saint now, not primarily a sinner. You're a saint who still sins and one day won't, but your identity is not a sinner. It's a saint. It's a righteous one. Perfect righteousness is a gift and God loves the righteous. If you've trusted Jesus, he loves you. Next, he cares for the foreigners. The Lord watches over the sojourners, the text tells us. The resident alien, the outsider, the minority, the immigrant, the illegal immigrant. He cares for them deeply. He loves them. Maybe by his grace, he brought them to be able to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus from you. God cares about the foreigners. He watches over them. Deuteronomy tells us this as well. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. You see, if you start to sing these things in your heart, what happens to your attitude? you start to take on the attitude of God, don't you? If that's what God loves, that's what I should love. That's who I need to love. Because I'm sent to love. And according to this text, and again in the Psalm, he sustains the widows and fatherless. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Um, Maybe you've lost a spouse. God sees and he knows and he cares, and he'll uphold you. Maybe you've lost a father or mother. Maybe you're an orphan. God sees and he knows, and he upholds you, and he cares. And by the way, as his people then, we need to do the same for those people, don't we? And then last, it ends with one one last reason to hope in God is that he ruins the wicked's way. He ruins the way of the wicked. He frustrates their ways, their plans. He brings them to ruin. They think they've got it all figured out and in a heartbeat, it all falls apart. Do you remember reading back in verse three and four? When he breathes his last, what happens to all his plans? They perish. God frustrates the way of the wicked. He brings it to ruin. Psalm one really... uh, We'll end with this. Really, really shows this. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night, singing songs, reminding himself of scripture, to praise God, to trust God alone and not man, to hope in him. He's like a tree who's planted by streams of water that yields fruit in season, 
and its leaf doesn't wither, and in everything he does, he prospers. That's the way of the righteous, those who follow God and put their hope in Jesus. But now check out the way of the wicked. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. In other words, they won't make it. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's another reason to hope in Jesus and not yourself. Because apart from him, your way will perish. My way will perish. But in him, there's hope. Friends, Psalm 146 just reminds us that God's faithfulness, of his faithfulness, of his goodness, and it motivates us to praise Jesus, to trust Jesus, to have our hope only in Jesus. And then he ends with this last verse that sums it all up. Because the Lord will reign forever. Forever. You know, eternity is a long time. A lot longer than now. And Jesus will reign forever. To all generations. So what should we do? Praise the Lord. Let me pray.